Hey, Dwarf Hope Northeast. My name is Josh Wilder. I'm one of your elders here, and Cameron has asked me to bring the sermon for you this morning, so it's my distinct privilege and pleasure to do that. A couple of things real quick before I actually dive into the Word. First is obviously I'm not at home. I'm in the Northeast building, and that is not to recreate the uh, experience of actually being here. That's because I live in a one-bedroom apartment and I have an infant, and as you can imagine, it's really difficult to get the space and the concentration to pull off a video in such a confined area. So that's why I'm here. The second thing is that, man, it's been a rough couple weeks, hasn't it? And if it's any, if you're anything like me, you may have gone through a roller coaster of emotions, and some of you may be tired and exhausted. Some may be angry still. Some may be um, just in turmoil or confused, not knowing what to like. What do you do? I just want you guys to know, like, it's okay to still be in process. I'm still processing it. And I want to let you know, if, if you need someone to process with, I'm here for you. You can email me, joshwild at dwarfhopepdx.org. Get a hold of me. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Or if, if you're tired of dealing with it and you want to talk to someone about something else, get a hold of me. In fact, you don't need to be in any kind of crisis to get a hold of your elders. I just want to get to know you. I'm a part of this community, and so are you. And for those of you who don't really know me, I would I would like to know you. So get a hold of me. Um, and that's it. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We live in such a dark dark world, and we are in need of light right now. We are in need of direction. We need to know what's right. We need to know what to do. And I pray, Lord, right now for the people who have power and who are in charge, who can make decisions that will affect people. I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in making their decisions. And I pray also... Lord, for us as a body, you would give us wisdom in what we should do. And for those of us who've been deep in this for a long time, it can be so despairing just seeing all the different sides and all the different proposed solutions, all of which contradict one another. Lord, at the end of the day, we have to say our hope is in you. Justice is only fully going to come when your justice, which is overloaded with mercy, breaks through. When you pour your spirit into the hearts of the human beings around us and into our hearts, when your love is shed abroad, Lord, then we will find the peace that we're seeking. So we ask, Lord, for you to do that. And we also pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth here today, that it would penetrate our hearts that it would take root and bear much fruit, Lord, that our lives would be changed and that the world could look at us and see Jesus through our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Cameron brought us back into 1 John. It's been quite a while. And um, he ended in chapter 2, verse 2, 
And I'm picking up in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll dive in. It reads, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Now, a passage like this tends to make people a little nervous. In fact, several months ago, before any of the COVID stuff happened, Cameron asked me to preach on this passage, and I went told my wife, Mackenzie, hey, <clears throat> this is the passage Cameron wants me to preach, and she looked at me and said, Wow, Cameron really threw you under the bus, didn't he? Um, and I quickly told her, no, Cameron has not thrown me under the bus. I'm sure he's perfectly happy to deal with difficult passages. In fact, there are some that are more difficult than this, even in First John. But I actually don't mind the difficult ones because having been given the opportunity and the privilege of gaining training through seminary and things like that, um, I feel like I have a unique place to, to help work people through this, whereas if the passage is obviously clear, you kind of don't really need a teacher. So I like to, I feel like these are times when all the investment in me gets to actually come out and, and benefit others. Um, but what makes this passage so weighty and difficult? I think the, the most obvious thing is that it almost sounds like you've got to be perfect in order to say that you follow Jesus. Right, So it, it says, uh, whoever says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Okay, so that's, anybody say I kept all Jesus' commandments this last week? I, I can't say that that's true for me. So I must be a liar and the truth is not in me. Is that what this passage really means? That's what it seems to sound like. Now, the way to understand any passage, not only of Scripture, but any kind of writing, is you need to look at the context. And so I want to take a few minutes to bring us there. First is the historical context. Now, John is a disciple of Jesus. He lives with Jesus for three years, and so he's constantly hearing Jesus' teachings. And one of the things that Jesus says is that false prophets are going to come after he's gone. He mentions this in Matthew 7 towards the end of the chapter. And there he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruit. So a, a prophet is somebody who claims to speak for God, to have a message from God. So obviously a false prophet is somebody who claims to have a message from God, but it actually isn't. And this is actually the, what John is dealing with. His, his letter is written to address this problem. A community he had founded was starting to be split apart by these false teachers. And John, in his, in his letter, he calls them, he talks about those who went out from us, but they were never a part of us. He, he talks about the deceivers. He sometimes even calls them antichrists. So that's the situation that he's writing into. And in this passage particularly, it addresses some of the teaching of these false prophets. Now, I read in a couple of commentaries, they, they clued in to the fact that when John says, if anyone says, or whoever says, or if we say, he's actually addressing 
one of the false teachings and, he, and he's correcting it. So that actually happens twice in this passage for this morning where he says, if we say we know him, and then later on it says, if we say we abide in him. And um, in, in that, it appears that what he's doing is, is he's trying to mend a break. These false teachers were breaking the connection between knowing Jesus and keeping his commandments. They were leading people to believe that you could know Jesus, that you could follow Jesus, you could remain in Jesus and not keep his commandments. So he's trying to correct that false teaching. So what does that mean for this particular passage? I want to go through three uh, questions about this passage that we have in, in drawing out its significance. So the first is, what are the commandments that John is referring to here? Second, what does it mean to keep those commandments? And finally, what do we do when we fail to keep those commandments? So I'll take each of those in turn. First, what commandments is he referring to? Now, I read several commentaries, and they all say the same thing. This is the greatest commandment, love God and love one another. You don't have to believe the commentators, though. We've gone through all of John's literature, and you can tell that this is a major theme in all of his work. You might also look to uh, this passage right here. It says in, in verse 5, Whoever keeps his word, which means keeps his commandments, in him truly the righteousness of God. No, it doesn't say the righteousness of God. It says the love of God is perfected. So there's a connection here between love of God and keeping the commandments. And then uh, if, you, if you want it even more blatant, in, in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So... This is very much a love one another, love God uh, commandment. And the reason why it's that is because actually all the commandments are contained in here. Right? Jesus, in, in Matthew 22, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on this one commandment. Paul, in fact, Paul says the entire law is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that in Galatians 5. So there's a sense in which all the commandments are tied into this one. Right? So love one another doesn't just simply mean be nice and don't be a jerk, which is kind of how we live it out most of the time if we're honest. We sort of leave it at that. But it's, it's the Ten Commandments, right? If you love God, you're not going to put other things before him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from them or lie to them, and certainly you're not going to murder them. Um, so you can see how they're all wrapped up here. But it isn't just the Ten Commandments either. There are also commandments in there to care for the orphan and the widow, and the stranger. And for us, that means people who aren't like you. It means people who aren't part of the, the dominant and majority culture. It means taking care of those who have a harder time. Now, lo loving one another, of course, has to start with the people right around you. So your own household, your work. But it doesn't end there. It's supposed to go beyond that. We always need to keep an eye beyond our immediate surroundings and loving those who are right within our circle. So second, what, what does it mean to keep 
to keep the commandments. Now, we are particularly plagued with this idea that keeping commandments is kind of like following rules. So um, if the rule is you stop at the red light, you don't stop at the red light, you get pulled over, you get a ticket because you didn't do the right thing. We, we like to keep it that simple. But the Bible, when it talks about keeping a commandment, never just simply means that. It also takes into account the heart, the motive, the intent. It takes into account the feelings, the affections, the desires. So keeping a commandment does not mean just doing the right thing. Keeping the commandment means right acts coupled with right attitudes, right motives, right desires. It actually means feeling what God feels toward everything all of his creation, and feeling what God feels toward his commandments because his commandments are actually there for the flourishing of all of creation. It's not just arbitrary rules. It's just simply, this is how the world works. So God loves his commandments. Do we love his commandments? See, it's actually loving what he loves, desiring what he desires, feeling what he feels. That's what it means to truly keep the commandments. And if he, by implication, if he loves justice, if he loves the poor and the oppressed, then we should too, right? Anytime we make less, not only of specific commandments, but we make less of the things that he makes more of, we reveal this gap, this disparity between ourselves and him. And that gap is called sin. And if you don't feel like there's any gap there, then maybe you're not hearing me. It's not just doing or not doing the right thing. It's feeling and desiring and loving the right thing. So that should put us all in the point now where we're like, okay, what do we do? Because I'm not like that. I'm not on the same page as Jesus. There is definitely that gap. Okay, so some of us, what, what you do is uh, you justify or you minimize. You minimize it. You say, um, for those who are more in like the liberal camp, they might say something like, oh, well, God has made an exception. Um, for me, because God really knows my heart and God really cares about the heart and he knows how much I struggle with this. So he thinks it isn't a big deal that I, um, that I fall into this sin that isn't really a sin because he doesn't really care. It doesn't matter. Um, or, or you might say, well, those commandments were given back then and they're all the prejudices and biases of that culture, but they don't, uh, they don't, they don't apply to us now, you know, cause we're enlightened. We're in the 21st century. We're not barbarians like that. Um, if, if that's you, then this passage is written for you. If, if you think that um, God knows my heart uh, doesn't mean that God knows that your heart is deceitful, then this passage is for you because you're breaking the connection between knowing Jesus and keeping his commandments. And that's exactly what John is trying to refute you could be a wolf and not know it. So I encourage you to examine yourself. God knows your heart. Do you know his? Now, there's some of you who, who might say, um, well, yeah, there's this gap, there's this disparity between myself and Jesus, but you know what? I, I don't care. 
I really don't care. I want to do what I want to do. And honestly, I have, I have respect for you if that's where you are. Be honest with yourself if that's where you are. But ask yourself this question too. Do you recognize that that is a problem? That not caring is itself a problem? Because if you do recognize that, that little voice in you that says, I should care even though I don't, that is nothing less than the God of the universe, the one who made quarks or strings, depending on your theory, who invented quantum entanglement, and black holes and all the crazy stuff that scientists are trying to figure out. The one who called everything into existence out of nothing is calling you right now personally and saying, come back to me. Don't go down that road. I love you. I don't need anything from you. I want to help you. So turn to him now. Now, for those of us who are saying, hey, I, I recognize that gap, that disparity between myself and Jesus, and I just can't seem to bridge that gap. I try, but I just keep falling. Hey, this passage isn't saying you have to be perfect. Now, why do I say that? Well, as Cameron brought us through last week, in the chap previous chapter, it says, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You're deceiving yourself, and you're making God out to be a liar. All those things aren't good. In fact, they're sin. <laughs> so it can't be po it's not possible that John is saying you have to be perfect because he doesn't believe anyone can. The people who say that they are are actually lying, which means that they aren't. So it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but... He gives us a way to move forward. In verse 9, remember, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing this so that you don't sin, right? Because he's not making excuses. He's saying, we don't want to sin. But if anyone does sin, meaning that we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Once again, go back and review Cameron's sermon last week. The point I'm making here is that what John is saying is that when you see that gap, that disparity, you go to Jesus. You confess your sins. And he points you to the atonement because it is there where you see that your sins have been given to him. See, we don't focus on the sins. We focus on him. And one of the things that makes this so difficult is because it says you need to walk in the way in Jesus, in the way in which Jesus walked. And how did he walk? Well, he didn't sin. He didn't confess. He didn't have to go through the things I'm saying. But he actually kind of did. And let me tell you what I mean. Just as Adam was what theologians call the federal head of humanity, so when he took the fruit, he took the fruit as the representative of all human beings that would come after him. So Jesus was the federal head of all humanity on the cross, standing before God, saying on behalf of all humans, I am guilty. I confess my guilt. Give me your judgment. Jesus himself was the great confession of all of humanity. But it doesn't end there because he was also standing there as God's representative to humanity saying, I am righteous. And there on the cross, you have what Luther calls the great exchange where 
God takes into himself both our sin, our failure, our rebellion, our wickedness, and all the consequences, judgment and wrath that goes along with that. He took that into himself and he gave us his righteousness. And a God who's willing to do that, a God who says, I love you so much that I am willing to do this for you, that kind of God, How can we not all the more want to love him, want to serve him and say, hey, I have this gap, but you know what? I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. I want to desire what you desire. I want to do what you want me to do. How can we not much more just desire for all of that? He's a father who loves us. He loves all of his children. And we don't need to have a perfect record. We just need soft hearts. Come to him today with your heart softened and he will give us a new one. One that will look just like Jesus by the time he's done with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this reminder in your word. This reminder of just how far you would go. The lengths that you went to to bring us to yourself. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would pour into our hearts such great love that we desire what you desire and love what you love and, of course, do what you command. Help us to keep in the entire sense of the word all that you have commanded so that the world may know that you love us, that you love them. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.